Welcome once again to Devotional. This is lesson number two for Sunday, December 16th. You know, it's a good thing that I'm recording at night because otherwise you would not be able to hear that nice little nature choir in the background of the Coquis. And uh, <laughs> for the next uh, 14, maybe 21 lessons, you will be hearing them unless I record during the daytime. During the daytime, they, they're not, you, you won't hear that noise, but at nighttime you do. And I hope you get used to it. I'm already used to it. I barely hear it. Uh, I hear it now because I'm talking to you about it. But once I'm done, it, it goes away. It just blends into the background white noise. Uh, but anyways, now you're getting a little bit of a tropical flavor with these uh, lessons. Um, we're going to be following through what we talked about yesterday on Sabbath about the body, about the vital organs. And there's no vital organ more vital than our heads. And Christ is the head of the church. Uh, Sunday's lesson makes that very clear. And um, I like how there are some things that came out that I had not thought of before. Um, I'm not the first person to present them, um, but I'm glad they're there. And before, though, I, I do want to make this point that I, I wrote down. Uh, as far as organs, right, we call them vital organs, but they're not irreplaceable organs. You can get a heart transplant. You can, you know, you have the liver, kidney donate don donors. Uh, we have a church member named Jelani. Uh, another dear friend named Ed Stefan, who both have been recipients of kidney donors. So we can't get organ transplants. So they're vital. They're not irre irreplaceable. But you cannot replace your head with someone else. You cannot have brain transplant. And so the brain takes the, the top hierarchy as far as the body is concerned. Um, so the importance is Christ, right? And the church, uh, uh, the lesson uh, highlights this, and I'm just going to read it. It's from the top part of Sunday's lesson. It says, The church also derives its identity from Christ, for he is the source and the foundation and the originator of its, of, originator of its belief and teachings. And then, so I, I drew three lines from the three key words in that statement identity, belief, and teachings. And I added uh, three words to the beginning of each one, short words. To identity, I simply put identity in Christ. To beliefs, I put beliefs of Christ. And teachings, I put teachings as Christ. Identity in Christ, belief of Christ, and teachings as Christ. And what I mean by that is my identity needs to be centered in Christ. My beliefs need to be those beliefs of Christ. I need to be clear that what I'm teaching is the, are things that Jesus actually taught, clearly taught in the Gospels. And obviously what he taught came derived directly from the Old Testament. So I need to make sure that what I am teaching are the teachings of Christ. And as far as, uh, I mean, the beliefs, what I believe in is are the beliefs of Christ and the teachings. Though they go together, I chose to, you know, make it a little different in that I am teaching as Christ taught. It's not focusing so much on the content, but on the method. So the first one, right? Uh, what does it mean to have an identity in Christ? That is not something that we can manufacture. It's something that is the, the result of the, the outcome of, of a prior choice. Um, and the choice is my personal devotions. My personal devotions are modeled by Jesus' personal devotion. In Jesus' personal devotions throughout the Gospels, you see the importance he, he placed in prayer. Prayer need to, needs to take a dominant uh, element in my, in my life as a Christian. On my day-to-day -day routine, 
prayer dominates because prayer dominated Jesus's life. In John chapter 17, uh, chapter 15, verses 5 and 7, Jesus emphasizes the importance of abiding in him and him in us. We need to model, we need to become like he is and prioritize the way he prioritized. He was exhausted. He was tired. There was not a day in the, in the years of ministry, the three and a half years of ministry, there was not a day in which Jesus was not spent to the max, healing, teaching, uh, you know, people coming after him, arguments, uh, traps, all these things. He was under continual attack. And yet, no matter how tired Jesus went to bed the night before, every morning he would wake up because what woke him up was a sense of need. I need the presence. I need the empowerment. I need the wisdom of my Father in heaven for the mission that I have been commissioned to accomplish. And I, I model myself after that. That's my identity in Christ. I need the Father, His power, His presence in me. And through Christ, I can receive that. And there's a flip side. I mean, not a flip side, but an additional aspect that I think is core here too is your security. Your security is in Christ and His salvation for you. Um, this, this calls for maturing of our understanding of the gospel, of righteousness, righteousness by faith. What does that mean? They can not just be mean phrases. Uh, we all struggle. We have moments in which temptations assail us tremendously. There are moments in which we may temporarily let go of the hand of God and fall and scrape ourselves or, or backslide. And what do you do then? Your identity needs to be centered in Christ. In that because of Him, you can approach the throne of God with boldness to receive help in time of need. God is not asking you to be now super Christian and, and make it on your own. Or if you are leaning on Him yet, you, you take your eyes off of Christ and you begin to sink. That you cry out and say, Lord, save me. Where else are you going to turn? There is no one else but Christ. So your identity in Christ gives you security that... In your ups and downs of your journey as a Christian, the stable, the steady, you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at Jesus. He is faithful. He, his mercies are new every morning. You can take courage that He will be with you today, encouraging you that if you were drifting away, you can pick up again. You will be forgiven. You will not be cast out. John chapter 6, verse 36 is a promise that you need to take to your prayer life. Um, maybe verse 37 is when Jesus says that um, all that the Father gives me comes to me, and those that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Those that come to me, there's no way I'm going to turn you away. Why would I do that when it's my Father working to bring you to me? It would be so self-defeating for my Father to work so hard through His Spirit to arousing you desires to come into my presence for me to say, tell you, I don't want to talk to you right now. You will never hear those words from God as you with... Uh, you know, unsure, will God hear my prayers? I, I've messed up. I've done something really horrible. Go to your Father in heaven in the name of Jesus. You are accepted in the beloved, says Paul. That's the identity of in Christ. My identity is in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To have the beliefs of Jesus, as we said earlier, is you, you examine what do you actually believe with humility because the Gospels tells us that the chief leaders, those that knew Torah, those that knew the Bible well, had it wrong. <laughs> Jesus continually would say to them, how do you read? How do you understand? They, they were not willing to evaluate if what, what they were actually teaching 
were the beliefs found in the scriptures. So the teachings of Jesus seemed foreign, seemed contradictory at times. They thought that he was undoing the, the actual authority of scripture when Jesus was actually trying to establish it, which for me will always be a, 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 a call to revise myself, a call to never become so dogmatic that what I believe right now is 100% of all the truth that could ever be known by anyone, wrong thinking, uh, wrong mindset. Today, what I believe is minuscule, it's a small smidgen of what's in the scriptures, which encourages me. It doesn't discourage me, and I want to encourage and invite you, don't feel discouraged if you, if you feel like you know very little of the Bible. Praise the Lord. What that tells you is there's so much more to learn. Rather than it discouraging you, it should motivate you and say, after so many years as a Christian, I'm still learning. Great. That means you will never graduate. In fact, in heaven, we will continue our journey of learning and understanding God's love. The cross will be our science, our, our focal of study for all eternity. It will never exhaust itself. So right now, it, it, it would, it's to your benefit to go to the scriptures and say, Lord, help me to come to it with a blank slate so that what I believe are the beliefs of Jesus. The last one. Um, to teach as Jesus taught, to, that my, the, the method of me teaching are the methods that Jesus used. We'll talk about that on Thursday. <laughs> I don't want to make these podcasts too long, um, so I'll leave that for that time. The last thing that I want to focus on is a one sentence. Uh, it's on the third paragraph on Sunday's lesson where it says, Although we may be hesitant with the concept of submission, because of how leaders in the centuries past have abused it, the church is nonetheless to be subject to the head, Christ. And that word submission, uh, I put next to it, submission is an issue of trust. At the end of the day, it's not, does the person have a PhD? It's not, does, it, does the person have a demon? Is the person liberal? Or is the person conservative, etc., etc.? Is it a matter of trust? The division that we have in our church right now I believe is largely due to a lack of trust. I've uh, about two months ago, three months ago, I've joined a Facebook group called uh, Adventist Professional Pastors or Ministers, and I tr try to resist the temptation of going there on a daily basis just to see what's been posting. But Facebook lets me know, hey, so and so just posted something, whatever, and so you get curious. And I've tried to restrain myself from responding at times because I see so plainly that many of the painful, hurtful comments that are made, the sarcasm, the cynicism, the satire, is largely due to trust. And trust is not something that can be forced upon someone else. Trust is an outcome, a natural outcome of knowing someone else. So far from giving me any sense of, man, they must know what they're talking about, all it lets me know is that they hardly know the person that they're speaking of. They don't know that person because if they knew, they would know whether they can trust that person or not. What they're speaking of is about their ignorance of that person themselves. There's this one cross, if you want to call it that, of being a leader, a pastor. I, I've had to make decisions. I've had to take positions that because as a pastor, I have a much broader, way more comprehensive context of certain situations 
versus individuals that have a very limited view of circumstances. And to them, my decision may seem uh, hasty, unbalanced, unloving, unchristlike, etc., etc., because they have only a very limited knowledge or perspective of circumstances. And that is one of the reasons why I, what I, that I've realized that if I'm going to have friends, and I've discovered that within the last several years, it's most likely going to be other pastors because we understand the difficulty that uh, sometimes making decisions in the church entails and the outcome. Uh, there, there may be other times when you just have to accept the fact that you will be misunderstood and with a clear conscience, you move forward trusting the Lord. Trust. It takes knowledge. And knowledge takes an intentional investment of time if you want unity. So I'm not speaking just to the individuals in that Facebook page. I'm speaking to all of us. I can tell you that... Uh, it's surprising to me that next year I, I will have been at Oakwood for seven years. And I can honestly tell you that there are many uh, members and some leaders that I barely know. And I've been there for seven years. To the Monroe Church, I'm starting to get acquainted with people. But if we, we're honest, we are still learning about each other. And without a knowledge of the person, our journeys, our histories, which entails our conversions, our presence ongoing. How can we trust, right? How can we trust? You trust your doctor because of the time you, you invest in knowing each other. Um, leadership requires time and it requires trust. And when you have trust that someone else um, is doing the best that they possibly can with the guidance of the Lord, it's a lot easier for you to submit. And instead of using that word, I would simply say join in or uh, acknowledge. Acknowledge that this person will lead and I will cooperate with, with the direction that God is bringing to our church through this leader, be it a pastor or something or someone else, higher uh, from the conference or division, etc. So these are the two things that I want to you know, put inside your mind to think about. Are there pastors that you've had struggles with in the past, disagreements? How have you related and were the issues, the real issues behind the disagreements or was it someone else, something else? Was it possibly a lack of trust? And if it was a lack of trust, it's, it's, uh, I would say it's good news because lack of trust has remedial. Certain issues have no remedies. It's just the way things are. But trust, trust is extremely relatable. It can, it can be solved. All it takes is an intentionality to say, I'm going to get to know that person better because if I get to know that person better, I will be better able to understand where they're going, what they are saying. And with that, my trust in that person, in that leader will increase. And if I can trust that leader, there's a greater chance of oneness in the body of Christ.